for the week of May 23rd, 2021. This is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 542, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And in Rome, Italy, I'm Michael Giltz. Woo! Manskin! Manskin! Shut up and be quiet. That's what I say. Okay, so I would imagine what you're talking about is manskin. Don't you mean moleskin? Like the journal, right? You're talking about the Eurovision. Eurovision. I have great vision 2020 when I'm wearing glasses. Some say 2010. What are you talking about? Oh, Eurovision. The movie starring Will. No. (sighs) All right. So Eurovision happened. The crowds weren't as big, but it was just as silly and fun as ever. Question. Why? Is ABBA the only group to break via Eurovision? I have no idea. You know, there's no one has ever become a big international act. Katrina and the Waves had a second act thanks to winning at Eurovision. Some big stars early on, like uh, Lulu and Sandy Shaw in the UK, won Eurovision. Celine Dion won Eurovision in 1988. Uh, Not for Canada, I think, for another country. But basically, the only group they really made international stars was ABBA. Maybe that'll change for man's skin. They're fun. They're crazy. They're doing coke. Don't say that. Don't say that. (laughs) But we'll see what happens. Eurovision happened. American Idol happened, but nobody cared. The the most boring of the top four won Chase Beckham. Sorry, Chase. Uh, Nice voice. But Willie Spencer, who I thought would win, lost. And Casey Bishop, who actually is talented. She's 16. Great voice. It's probably the best thing that happened to her is that she didn't win it. She may actually have a career. Keep an eye on that. And you know what? Seeking shelter from the storm was Robert Pattinson. He signed a deal with, I mean, how many, the Warner Brothers Network, Warner Brothers Studios, uh, HBO Max, and some other Warner Media. It's like he signed a deal with Warner Media. Just say Warner Media, dude. (laughs) He signed a deal with everybody, but he's got a first look deal with whatever Warner Media will soon be called. Yeah, well, I think that, uh, you know, that great sigh of relief you heard was Mm -hmm. the uh, Warner Brothers motion picture executives over on the lot going, phew, we won't have to be dealing with that AT&T anymore. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. Our, our, our internet just got throttled. I wonder why that happened. Anyway, before the internet goes out completely, what are we going to talk about this week? What are you talking about internet? What? I'm joking that AT&T is, is slamming us because oh. we just made a comment about them you know, being out of the business. Yeah. Well, speaking of being out of the business, you said Jason Kylar was done for. He was in. He was, and you know what? He wasn't technically yet, but by the end of the day last Monday, sure enough, <laughs> yeah. he was. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I wasn't making a. I wasn't showing any insight. Everybody knew that. Yeah. Well, I guess uh, what's really interesting is this deal was so quiet that the people who in the PR department didn't know to not actually have his profile be featured in both the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. The well, yeah, no, they no, of course not. And you know what? If we say it, it happens. So what are we going to say this week? Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, we've got a lot going on in the sexual misconduct category, unfortunately. Now, Kevin Spacey, you might recall him, he may have a role in a new Italian film. Noel Clark's show Bulletproof is canceled just when it was preparing for a fourth season, and the great Glenn Gordon Karen has been booted from the CBS show Bull. We'll explain why all of those things are happening. In pandemic news, California is looking forward to June 15th, and a mostly mask-free world will also play a game called Would You Rather, such as like, would you rather have Knives Out 2 and 3 or the Lord of the Rings TV series? 
Why not both? On Inside Baseball, we dive deep into television. The major networks held their fall TV schedule events for the media, but did not seem it did not seem like old times at all. In fact, it seemed really weird. Instead of arguing about scheduling movies and what show is kicking off Tuesday nights, it was streaming, streaming. Uh, they also, by the way, talked about more streaming and streaming. So in case you were yeah, yeah. Uh, now, at least, by the way, Jimmy Kimmel was funny. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right. And we're looking at box office around the world. It's exciting. The international box office is gaining momentum like a rolling stone. It is getting faster and faster and bigger and rolling downhill. UK opened up. France opened up. According to Deadline, the French cinemas were packed. More specific numbers in the UK, they hit pre-pandemic levels. They had their best week at the box office in 14 months, over a year. So that's exciting to see. And that means we have a new number one, Fast and Furious 9, or F9 as the kids call it. That opened this week to $162 million worldwide. Most of that happened in China. That now means this franchise has passed the $6 billion mark. That's a very notable number. Only six or seven or so franchises have done that in history. More about that later. So the number one movie around the world is F9 with $162 million. Yes? Yes, indeed. In only eight territories. So that's... Well, China, $140 million. Yeah, yeah. well, but you know, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Over the last week, I've been getting uh, emails from trade groups all over Europe saying how their cinemas are opening and they're actually doing really well. In France, the first day, they had 300,000 admissions. People were lining up at eight in the morning to go to the movies, to see old movies. Right. So now new movies are coming every week. Next week, we've got Cruella and A Quiet Place 2. Every week now, there's a big movie or a pretty big movie opening up. So... People say they want to go back to the movies. Here's their chance to prove it. Hopefully they can do it safe and soundly. It looks like they will be. At number one is Fast F9, $162 million. At number two is Wrath of Man. A bit of a moving target here. Maybe it made $15 million. Maybe it made $26 million. Maybe it's grossed a total of $60 million or $66 million or $71 million. Three different sources, three different answers to that question. But we do believe it's the number two movie around the world. It may be tied with another movie with an asterisk by it. This is a film called Love Will Tear Us Apart. It's a Chinese romance. It's heart-wrenching. Beautiful young people falling in love. He declares in high school, I'm going to marry you 15 years from now. And by God, they do. But then disaster tears them apart. It made $15 million this week. That's what Comscore says. That's what everyone says. Others also say it just opened up on May 20th. And yet, Comscore says it made $15 million this week, and its total is $30 million. Both of those can't be true. There's no other territory where it's playing. If you know the answer to this mystery, call us. Yes, you can call us. That's true. Yes, please do call us. 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also, uh, you can email us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at showbizsandbox is our handle, or you can like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. Now, here's the thing. 
Somebody did call us this past week and they were warning Ooh. us. Yes, the, they were warning us about scammers and how, <laughs> uh, you know, and, and then actually we got another phone call that was a fax machine to which I went, who still has a fax machine? But that's another story. <laughs> that's, uh, that's hilarious. Oh, well. Well, we're back at the franchise and we're back at the uh, box office. Uh, right below Wrath of Man and Love Will Tear Us Apart is Spiral from the Book of Saul. The Chris Rock project, he pitched it, he made it happen. That grossed $11 million this week. It's at $23 million total, and that puts the Saw franchise over the $1 billion mark. They made nine films. The total budget is just a smidge under $100 million, and they have grossed $1 billion worldwide. There are lots of other big franchises out there, but for you know, dollars, dime on the dollar, that's a pretty amazing record. The only one I could think of that was close is the Conjuring franchise. They have spent about $140 million on one, two, three, four, five, six, seven movies, and they've grossed almost $2 billion. So they are, frankly, even better pound for pound, but another really micro-budget movie that makes a lot of money. Boy, horror films are profitable. <laughs> yes, and they're very, uh, you know, they're well loved in South America and in Mexico and all over the world. Yeah. All right. Right below that, in stark contrast, is the family-friendly Peter Rabbit Two: The Runaway. James Gordon has a hit. Forget about cats. This movie made nine million dollars, and it's at thirty million counting. It's a hit in the context of the times. The movie cost seventy-five million dollars to make, and it's almost certainly not going to hit two hundred and ten million dollars worldwide. Though who knows? Angelina Jolie's flick is next. Those who wish me dead. That made another six million dollars. Not a bad hold. It's at thirteen million and counting. Godzilla vs. Kong went over $430 million worldwide. Mortal Kombat hit $80 million, and The Unholy hit $30 million. They all made about 3 to $5 million. Falling hard, it seems like, is Cliff Walker's, the Zhang Yimou thriller from China, that made $160 million total. It made another $2 million this week. And also falling hard, it looks like, is Break Through the Darkness, an anti-corruption film in China. That hit $58 million worldwide. Couple notes. The Saw franchise, past $1 billion worldwide. Pokemon, that movie uh, is the top-grossing anime film of all time in North America. Number two is now Demon Slayer, Mugen Train, Infinity Train, that movie, which is still playing in North America, that passed Pokemon 2, and is now the second-highest-grossing anime film of all time. That's pretty great to see. We talk about these movies being profitable or not. Raya and the Last Dragon, that is approaching $50 million worldwide. 50 million. Got very good reviews, a strong audience response. It is available premium video on demand via Disney Plus. This movie would have made at least $700 million worldwide. It had very good reviews. You feel like they would have taken home at least $300 million, at least. Now, did 10 million people pay to access Raya on premium video on demand? That's what they would need to equal that box office gross. And even if they, even if they did, wouldn't the film feel bigger? Wouldn't they be selling more merchandise? Wouldn't it be more of a potential franchise if it had had that worldwide launch in a non-pandemic era? Well, you know, I have heard that Jason Kylar, who was the uh, the person we were speaking of at Warner Media, who is no longer there, or mm -hmm. he's still there, but may not be soon. Uh, he is. Uh, he apparently there was a story that said he cost the studio one billion dollars not just in paying extra fees to gal gadot but also in the fact that some of these movies uh that were released straight to uh, hbo max 
exactly as you say, Michael, they're, they're now no longer franchises. They don't have, uh, you know, ancillary uh, revenue. If, if they're driving subscriber numbers, the numbers can work out. You know, everybody True. wants to be Netflix and have, you know, 100 plus million people feeding you money every month. Like when you think about streaming music or streaming Netflix or HBO Max, people do not pay $15 a month for movie tickets. The vast majority of people do not go to the movies every single month. So if you can get them to fork that over to you directly, Disney, which only gets 6 or $7, or Warner Brothers, that's golden to them. But you got to start equaling the number of people who go to the movies. Uh, I don't know. I feel like Raya was a, a bit of a, a, a lost opportunity. Not that you can't have big franchises via TV, Game of Thrones. Well, yeah. And over the weekend, I saw a, a movie uh, called New Order by Michel Franco. And mm-hmm. it's about a Mexican, a wealthy Mexican family is getting together for a wedding in the, uh, with a kind of some oh, oh, social where the, where unrest. The, where, the, where the people, the people attack the uh, event. Yes. And take yes. over. It's, was it good? It was strange. It was very well made. It was. It looked amazing, uh, but in the end, I don't know whether it was saying much socially. You know, it well, was, well, it was. It was it fun? Uh, no. It didn't have a purge like fun vibe to it. No, no. Yeah. That's the thing. It wasn't like. You know, it. It's not that it was bad. It wasn't bad. Mm-hmm. It's just that you would hope it was going in a direction where it ha- had some social commentary on it. And in the end, no, not so much. Well, I don't know. I, I imagine some of the social commentary would go over my head concerning different skin tones, city versus rural accents. You know, all those things. Clearly, you can see some people are poor and some people are wealthy. But I imagine it's a little more complicated than that. But I'm still intrigued to see it. However, back I to. Was, yeah, I was really impressed with like their big their big scenes in Mexico City where they had, you know, it was pretty remarkable. Oh, cool. Well, I wasn't I loved the trailer. I was intrigued by it. Sorry to hear it didn't quite land for you, but it still sounds interesting. We're so happy that Comscore is back. They're listing the top five films around the world. I can't wait till they list every film around the world that's grossing any money. But they made one comment about Fast and Furious. They said it's one of just six franchises to hit six billion dollars worldwide. And they said they did it with just 10 films, and they called that a record. Wait a second. First of all, the fact that you're saying just 10 films, yeah, because we all make movies, you know, we all have franchises with 10 films. You get a franchise with no, but 10 they, films. But they, but they grow $6 billion with just 10 films. But how many franchises even have 10 films? Well, then you're not a, well, very, not, that's not why they're wrong. They're wrong because more movies have hit $6 billion with less than 10 films. James Bond, of course, was my first thought. They have grossed more than $6 billion. That's They didn't name what the other movies were, the other five franchises. So I looked it up and did a little research. James Bond, clearly in there, dozens of movies. Star Wars, they now have more than 10 films, but they hit over $6 billion with just their first seven films. So they have beat that record. Harry Potter grossed more than $6 billion. They only have eight films. I would call the Avengers. I know they include the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I don't think that really counts. But the Avengers, those movies on their own, six films, they did it with six films. Spider-Man, including the animated one, though that's almost not necessary, they grossed $6 billion with eight films. Take out the animated film, they did it with seven films, short $14 million. So there's a number of movies, franchises, that have hit $6 billion without 10 films or, or fewer than 10. The Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, they're only $78 million short. Batman, I don't think that really counts because you have to throw in Suicide Squad, Bat, Bat, Cat Girl, 
uh, Catwoman, Joker, which isn't really a Batman movie. I don't count the Marvel Cinematic Universe. X-Men, you got to toss in two Deadpool, Dark Phoenix, and Wolverine to get there. So again, the fact that you're like naming all these comic well, book movies. Well, well, yeah, those are the movies that make money. Yeah. But, you know, I, I feel like counting them would be like saying Universal Horror is a franchise. And they think it is the Universal Cinematic Universe. I'm sure that's the thing that they're trying to do now with Kong and Godzilla. But no, movies with King Kong in them, movies with Superman in them, those are a franchise. Any ancillary character with their own movie doesn't necessarily count. But it's cool. It's an amazing accomplishment by Fast and Furious. Others have done it with fewer movies. That's pretty damn cool, too. And you know what? All these rules will be thrown out because Avatar is going to do it with three at the most. <laughs> they, yeah. they may well do it with two movies. So, you know, get ready for the record books to get torn up again because James Cameron is somebody you don't want to bet against. So let me ask you this. D did you adjust for inflation? No, 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 no. <laughs> No, 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 I no, no. help no. myself. No, no, no. But, you know, you don't have to adjust for inflation with the good news. Thanks to the pandemic, thanks to some things, thanks to the vaccinations, the pandemic is receding. The Czech cinema is opening up May 24th. And I think it's cool to highlight all these smaller cinemas around the world. They all matter. Lollapalooza will be happening in Chicago in late July. That's the music event. Glastonbury will have a two-day music fest in September. And hey, California, June 15th. All bets are off, right? No mask, no physical distancing. Yes, if you're at a huge 10,000-person event outdoors or you're inside at a basketball you know, or concert, they recommend you ask people to show proof of vaccination or you recommend you ask people who haven't been vaccinated to wear a mask, but it won't be the law anymore. Yeah, How I do mean, you feel about that? I, I think uh, at least everybody I know has been vaccinated. I mean, now people are like, you know. But we they, know most people haven't. Two-thirds of the country has not been vaccinated. Yeah. Over 65, at least, in, I should only say this, this is, this is in the country, 70% of people over 65 have been vaccinated. That's awesome. That's amazing. That's one big reason numbers are going down. But overall in the country, people, I think it's 16 and over or whatever, or 12, you know, looking at two-thirds of the people have not received all their vaccination yet or have received none. Yeah. You so know, the other day, uh, this was like a week or two ago or a week ago, uh, they opened vaccinations up for 12 to 15 year olds. Right. Right. And I could tell you where every 12 to 15 year old was in my town that Friday. <laughs> where? At, the, at that party? At, at the drugstore. They were all one after the other. They, it was like a machine. They were well, all that's just very being unusual. marched through. Good, good for them. That's great. But that's, you know, you also are in an area where people resisted getting vaccinations for like going to school. And that was a problem. So yeah, they, that's they, nice they don't, to they hear, but that's not, a, that's not a given. <laughs> right, exactly. Not a given. So glad <laughs> to hear it. Glad to hear it. So uh, yeah, you know, I hope Broadway says you got to show proof of vaccination, at least for the next year, you know, at least for the next six months or a year. I think it would be great. You know, go to a sporting event. You got to show vaccination proof. It's like, hey, you're free not to, but you want to go see a football game. You want to see a basketball game. You want to go a baseball game, having to show your vaccination card for the next six months. That would be a great incentive to get people to go. So I hope more individual private venues decide to do that. Clearly, the government isn't going to, but, you know, we shall see. Yeah, I didn't understand that. They had a year to figure out, like, this whole vaccine passport thing. And I get that, you know, I mean, there I would be a, the Republicans would shut down the government if you tried to mandate nationally that everybody had to get a vaccine passport. They don't even want people to have an ID. Well, no, they do because that's they, they want go, you to, only to vote. Only, only to, to vote. vote. Yeah, yeah. But they do not want a government issued ID, though. They fight it all the time. One simple suggestion is your social security card contain your photo. 
you, everybody gets a social security card when I go, no, no, you're going to track us. And, you know, yeah, there's no consistency there. So there's not no chance in hell that would pass at a national level unless one party had a two thirds majority and could, you know, do sensible legislation. But business goes on. We were talking about this before the show start. Amazon is bidding $9 billion for MGM and its library. Yeah, here's the thing about its mm -hmm. library. You may recall, because I I saw a whole bunch of, uh, by the way, this news happened right after we finished last week. So I was like, really, guys? Get your act together and tell us before we record. But anyway, uh, (laughs) uh, they're bidding nine billion. Well, this is uh, according to the information. Nobody has actually confirmed this on either side. And I saw all of these, these tweets and mentions that, oh, well, they'll get the Wizard of Oz and cause like all these, these, these classic movies from MGM. Here's the thing. All those classic movies are now owned by Warner Brothers because Ted Turner purchased them. Warner Brothers ter- purchased Ted Turner and all of his assets. So they all belong to Warner Brothers. Although the MGM library does have a lot of canon films. You remember those action movies from the 80s? They're all owned by MGM now. There you go. I don't know what their full library contains, but we'll get a better breakdown. We do know it contains James Bond, and that's part of the issue about who gets what and how are we going to deal with that. And and the veto rights that the producers, the Broccoli's have over that is substantial. So that's a big negotiation you have to do if you're buying it in terms of thinking about James Bond. We know that the producers want James Bond on the big screen. They do not want to go straight to streaming. They've always resisted like James Bond Jr. in a TV show or something like that. So we'll see what happens. But Amazon, why why now are they deciding they want a library? Why didn't they, if they were going to do streaming and they wanted a library, why didn't they decide 10 years ago? Why didn't Apple buy a library or two? You know, it, it, it boggles the mind. Okay, so last week I said, you know, I just said moments ago, last week, right after we finished recording, that the information published this this report, right? And mm-hmm. I chastised them for not letting us know earlier so that we could say something. So I'm sitting here listening to you right now talk, and literally my phone buzzes, and it's the Wall Street Journal. And it says, it's a notification on my phone, Amazon is nearing a deal to buy Hollywood studio MGM for almost $9 billion, said people familiar with the matter. And I'm like, wait, you're like a week behind on that, right? <laughs> like, but I guess now they've they've sourced it and they, they're a little bit Right, closer. that's not a week behind, not if they have an actual, no, they're saying they're close to a deal. Others yeah. said they were kicking the tires. And now they're, yeah, no, that's, you know, no, look, I, you, I'm not looking at the contract and everything like that. But what I would say to, to Amazon is, just let the broccolis do what the broccolis do with the James Bond. Let them put it in movie theaters. Make yep. their one point two billion dollars per movie. Sorry, well, that they, you're gonna have to. Earn, earn. They've almost never made a billion dollars per movie ever, but you know well, that's okay. But, you know, but but still, they make hundreds of millions of dollars. Yes, absolutely. So let them do that, and uh, guess what happens after it's no longer in movie theaters and people you are looking get for to show it exclusively on Amazon. You know where I can't watch it? If you guys own it on Netflix. <laughs> well, now tell me Sperling, if you they're spending $9 billion perhaps for MGM and its library, if you had half a billion dollars or $450 million roughly, would you rather own the rights to a Lord of the Rings TV series or the next two sequels to knives out? Ooh, good question. I would have to go with, since the Knives Out are not, that is not going to be in movie theaters, I'd go with the Lord of the Rings. Well, they're not going to be in movie theaters either. Right, but it's got a longer tail. 
Right, exactly. I feel the same way. Now, Lord of the the Knives Out is a bit of a safer bet, I feel. All-star cast, uh, a franchise that's already been launched, whereas you haven't launched a Lord of the Rings TV series. There won't be Frodo and Bilbo. It's an entirely different thing a thousand years before the things we watch. So it's a whole different Megillah. But I feel like, yeah, Knives Out, you're getting four hours for $450 million. Amazon has sunk all this cost into building all these sets, setting it all up, so that future seasons aren't going to be this expensive at all. I mean, they'll still be quite expensive. They've committed to five seasons, but they're only getting eight hours for this initial $465 million commitment. But they are getting all that stuff that will be ready for seasons two, three, four, and five. If they go forward, I'm sure they'll have at least a season two. And so they're going to get 16 hours, probably unless it's a complete disaster, they'll get 24 hours, right? Yeah. You just go go to seasons three, no matter what, probably just because they built the sets and spent so much money. It would have to be a disaster of epic proportions. So they're going to get 24 hours rather than four hours. And they have the opportunity to make other shows in the Lord of the Rings universe. So even if this one doesn't work, they can pivot to something else. Whereas Knives Out, there's no spinoffs of Knives Out, I don't think. So, you know, I feel like those TV series, people are spending all this money on movies, and I feel like TV series are the way to go. We look at the numbers every week, and I'd rather have the TV show. But I know HBO Max would have loved to have the Lord of the Rings TV series. Certainly, you know, wasn't it New Line that made the movies? Uh, well, yeah, well, yeah. New Line? No, New Line made... They had it at one point, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's why they were... God, who did make the... The, uh, you know what? Well, it, was, it was, it was a co-production by a hundred people by the end, of course. Actually, no, you know what? It was new line. Cause I'm trying yeah. to remember which publicist I was fighting with at the time <laughs> to cover that. And it was new line. Now that I, I didn't get, I didn't get to go to the damn set at con. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's fair, pretty fair. much what it, that's what it amounts to is that they uh-huh. said, Oh, I'm sorry. We can't, it's only for select people. And I was like, yeah, okay, go. I read the books fourteen times. Yeah, it was it was a new line uh, at the, at at the end, wasn't it? Yes, it was. I mean, everybody was producing it. Every the Weinstein's were involved. Everybody on the planet was involved. But that was new line. So HBO Max, they would have loved to have that series. But you know, HBO Max, Discovery Plus, whatever it's going to be called, they've given David Zaslav a lot on his plate. Right, Jason Kilar is out. He's got all these huge new responsibilities. Poor guy to soften the blow. The day before the announcement that he was, you know, going to be taken over, they gave him stock options over the next five so or years or so, valued at about one hundred and ninety million dollars. So that'll soften the blow and, you know, let him ease into his new job pretty nicely. I think. Yeah, I mean, look, you know, it certainly incentivizes him, right? I mean, oh God, shut up! <laughs> You're so Wall Street. Hey, speaking of me? speaking oh, of stock, who would who would do their job unless they weren't offered two hundred million dollars? Look, to I don't do get- it. I don't get out of bed for for under a hundred mil. Okay. Neither does Rick Santorum because he has been cut by CNN after making disparaging remarks about Native Americans and their culture, and then being asked to say, "Hey, come on and try to explain yourself." Maybe he's like, "No, no, I'm not apologizing." And they're like, "Yeah, okay, never mind." <laughs> you know, so so uh, we were talking about stock there just a second mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you have this in the lineup, but you know, Wanda Dalian Group. Remember them? Yes, the yes. Yeah, they sold all their their AMC stock, so they had. That's I guess right. Over the last couple, they made about six hundred something million dollars over the last, uh, yeah, maybe three months on selling their stock. Thank made, you, Reddit. But what, what, what was what money did they sink in overall? Did they make money? Yes, they did. Apparently, oh, okay. they doubled their money. You know, with the profit that they took out of it over time. 
All right. So, yeah, they, they now own less than 1% of AMC, the movie theater chain. Very interesting. So they have cut ties. Megadeth has cut ties with one of their co-founders and the bassist, David Ellison, over sexual misconduct allegations. Sky UK, they have canceled the drama Bulletproof over sexual misconduct allegations against star Noel Clark. We talked about that last week. The show ran for three seasons. It was in pre-production on the fourth, and now everybody's out of work because of Noel Clark. Uh, very sad. Kevin Spacey is not out of work, however. He's making a cameo in an Italian film uh, starring Vanessa Redgrave. She's the wife of the director of the film. He is also directing and starring. Here's the funny part. It's about a man wrongly accused of sexually abusing children. <laughs> I might, if I was his agent, I might have said, yeah, don't do this one. Yeah, he's, he's happy to do any work. And Glenn Gordon Karen is out of a job. This is sad. The TV show Bull has been racked by problems. Frankly, all of CBS television has had problems for a long time now. Very bad toxic culture. He is a legendary showrunner, of course, and he's been dumped from the TV drama Bull and his deal with CBS after an investigation. First, the star Michael Weatherly is apparently a jerk. He pushed Elijah Dushku off the show after she complained about his behavior. CBS had to pay her $9 million because she was supposed to become a regular cast member. And then an investigation found the showrunner, Glenn Gordon Kern. He was also problematic. The set went from dysfunctional to toxic, depending on his mood, said one person to Deadline. Many writers have left the show at the end of the fifth season. Uh, he's been the showrunner since the second season. Co-star Freddie Rodriguez also left the show after an investigation into his behavior. Uh, Glenn Gordon Karen, of course, he created the hit show Medium that ran for seven years on two different networks. He came on board Bull at the end of the first season that became the showrunner in the second. It's now hugely successful. It was from the start, but it's continued. And of course, he created Moonlighting, one of the great TV shows of all time with perhaps the classic toxic set. The fights between him and Sybil Shepard and Bruce Willis and the chaos because he was writing all the scripts and they were creating basically a two-hour screwball comedy every week. He couldn't stick to the production schedule. It was a nightmare. But boy, they made great TV. But I would like to give a shout out to Sybil Shepard and how times have changed. Because all we heard at the time was how she was a horrible, you know, a woman, big complainer, what a pain to work with and all this stuff. And now we see maybe there were two sides to that story. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, some fly by night and some, some, or no, some walk by night, some fly by day, but, you know. <laughs> well, I think, I think the times they are changing. I mean, you know, you'd look at the behaviors on set back then. Hopefully it wouldn't be, it was acceptable today, but now people are waking up. The, it's some interesting choice of words there because the times are changing because you know what? What? When that song came out, the times they are changing, Bob Dylan, by the way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was like in the 1960s. And he sure. was, was, Dylan was in his 20s. Guess what? Today is Bob Dylan's 80th birthday. Is it? Is it? Yes. Well, ha happy birthday to Bob. Well, you know, everybody is getting into the streaming game. They're knocking on heaven's door trying to get to that honeypot of streaming money. But we'll do that in, in Inside Baseball. But we will talk just a second about streaming and the numbers there. I thought Prince Philip's death would goose up the crown. Now, the crown numbers haven't fallen, and it is 12 weeks since the show dropped. So. I'm not exactly wrong, but I'm certainly not right. They didn't jump up a lot since he died. So, you know, I have to, maybe it's a wash if I'm being generous to myself, but I have to say I'm disappointed. I thought the numbers would go up a little bit more. Maybe watching 10 hours of the funeral gave people all the royal, you know, stuff that they needed for the week. But we are looking at a combined chart for the week of April 19th through April 25. When we look at the overall chart, 
Four of the 10 properties are original properties. These are the most streamed properties for this week, whether a movie, a documentary, or an ongoing TV series. Uh, Four of the 10 are originals. Nine out of the top 10 are on Netflix. Shadow and Bone, A New Fantasy, has a strong debut on Netflix. When you look at the original series lineup of the top 10, eight of them are Netflix, one is Disney, and one is Amazon. On the movie top 10, four are originals, but their streaming numbers are far lower than the series because they're only two hours long or 100 minutes. You want people to come back to your streaming site, TV shows are the way to go, baby. But good Lord, I've already asked people to call in and let us know, why is The Little Rascals trending? And why is Nikki, Ricky, Dicky, and Dawn trending? Clearly, Netflix added this old Nickelodeon show. This was a show that ran in the 2015. It's about four quadruplets named Nikki, Dicky, Dicky, Nikki, Ricky, Dicky, and Dawn. They're quadruplets. The show aired six years ago. It ran for a few seasons. Netflix got the rights. And guess what? Boom, it's in the top 10. So acquired shows are not anything to be sniffing about. People say, oh, they don't own it. So what? They've licensed it. People are watching it. They're making money. You know what? I could never call that show the full name. I would just have to call it NRDD. <laughs> NRDD. That's how the kids call it. <laughs> but you said you said that you thought the the death of uh, Prince Philip would goose the numbers, and and I just heard from the royal family. They said we're royals. If anything, they would pheasant the numbers. <laughs> well, well done. I think that was a pretty good joke, and for you, that's a big deal. Oh, then it must be time for Big Deal or Big Whoop. Can you tell nothing happened this week, by the way? <laughs> anyway. Box it, office it, opened. England hit the 14-month high. That's uh, true. Amazon is looking to buy MGM. Lots of sexual misconduct stuff going on. Good pandemic. Unfortunately, yeah. Yes. Yeah, no. Well, Big Deal or Big Whoop is our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Here's our first story. You might recall journalist Martin Bashir. He became a worldwide celebrity in terms of TV journalists. How, you may ask? By deceiving Princess Diana and those around her with forged checks, apparently. And the BBC was negligent in not getting to the bottom of this at the time. That's the result of an independent investigation started by the series Panorama over the issue. They've since returned a BAFTA award for the story and apologized to the family of Diana. Bashir went on afterwards to win a Journalist of the Year award, and after more than a decade and a half in the United Kingdom, he went on to ABC's Nightline and then MSNBC, among other jobs. Bashir was suspended by ABC for crude and sexist jokes at a dinner speech he gave honoring Asian-American journalists. Bashir Excuse said, me. Oh, no, please. Let me. He's at an award ceremony honoring Asian-American journalists, and he says, I'm happy to be in the midst of so many Asian babes. I'm happy that the podium covers me from the waist down. End quote. Are you kidding me? When was this? No, it was not in the 1930s. (laughs) So so are you out of your mind? Well, jaws must have dropped and said, "Who, who invited this buffoon? Oh, my God. What an ass. <laughs> yeah, well, he was later dumped from M- MSNBC after saying uh, in on-air commentary about uh, then-VP candidate Sarah Palin. Well, I guess he said stuff that's too crude to repeat, really. So, of course, he returned to the BBC to cover, of all things, religion. <laughs> religion. <laughs> <laughs> I remember hello, seeing pon- that. Hello, your pontiff. I'm so excited to meet you. I'm glad I'm wearing this Cossack. You know, I mean, Lord almighty. I did a double take when I saw him. I was in England. I saw, I was like, wait, is that? Martin Bashir, like, is that the Martin? It is. And he's covering, he's the religion. Okay. From Michael Jackson and Diana to religion. And now sad news. 
Well, Bashir recently retired as he faces ongoing health issues after contracting COVID-19 and also having a quadruple bypass surgery. So is this a big deal or a big whoop? Uh, it's a big deal. It's you know decades after it happened, and it's having serious fallout. The BBC is under pressure from the government to reorganize and have independent journalists providing some more oversight. They're saying, no, we've changed things since then. It wasn't the dark ages. It was the 90s. Uh, the former director general of the BBC at the time was forced to resign from the board of the National Gallery. That sounds very modest and minor, and it is in the scheme of things. It's also embarrassing. It's like, we don't want to be associated with you. So good for them. I think that's a good thing to see. Martin Bashir, I hope he gets better. You know, I must, you know, obviously he had quadruple bypass surgery. He's not faking his health issues, but resigning now is a little convenient. But he also did not apologize. He said, Well, I, you know, I've said I did a few things wrong. I'm sorry about that. But she was excited to do the interview. She was couldn't wait to do the interview. She was happy with the interview. We remained friends. She came to my wife when my wife gave birth. And it's like, yes. That's because she didn't know you lied to her <laughs> and you deceived her and you made her believe people in her inner circle were not trustworthy and increased her paranoia. So if she knew the truth, she wouldn't have liked you and she wouldn't have been happy. So he is deluded. So, you know, these, I mean, it can't even imagine doing that at, at a speech honoring other journalists that you would say stuff like that. It's just unbelievable. But, oh, uh, oh, well. Well, hey, Michael, do you remember when Ted Turner was threatening to colorize Casablanca uh, because he believed people would actually enjoy the colorized movies more? And what scared that? me was that he might have been right, <laughs> except yeah. they did it so poorly. Yes, well, I remember. Well, 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 here's the thing. This is the second time we've mentioned Ted Turner on today's True. episode, by the way. And, uh, and of course, uh, you know. The uh, whole idea of colorizing those movies, he wanted to make more money, really, is what it amounted to. Uh, and while colorizing never really quite caught on, but it hasn't gone away. So kids, by the way, cover your ears for this next like five minutes. The adult film website Pornhub is getting into the business of historic preservation. And by the way, no, you did not just mishear me. They've taken a bunch of erotic films from 1890 to 1940 and colorized them. And no, you did not just mishear me. Okay. <laughs> Since the moment someone figured out how to record moving images, people have been making adult movies, said Pornhub. We thought it was important to not only preserve, but modernize these films. And we are very excited to include the, this selection of artfully restored vintage material to our library, allowing users to indulge in old school erotica from a bygone era. Wow. Okay, so big deal or big whoop? It's not just fun, it's educational too. <laughs> <laughs> so they're tangled up in blue films, I guess, over at Pornhub. And let's not forget, they contained all sorts of illegal content, like non-consensual videos, videos made with people who didn't know they were being videotaped footage of minors. It took a New York Times expose and major credit card companies yanking their support of the website saying, no, we won't process credit card information from them. That's what forced them to finally remove hundreds of thousands of videos uh, from their website. Funny how a little bad press can get a company to act. So I think this is their idea of like community service. God bless them. Hey, I checked some of them out, I must say. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, Alrighty then. Well, Tribune Publishing, remember them? Yeah, news newspapers. It's from like eighteen ninety. It's not exactly hardcore. Trust me. <laughs> no, I'm sure they were. I'm surprised it's they even sort still of interesting. exist. It's yeah. sort of interesting. Uh, I, I was just going to talk about newspapers. You know, Chicago uh, Tribune, Baltimore Sun, and Michael's old stompy ground, the New York Daily News. That's right. Uh, 
They all have a new boss. Unfortunately, <sighs> it's not cigar-chomping Perry White. It's a hedge fund. Yes, Tribune Publishing has been purchased by Alden Golden Capital, a name that is very hard to pronounce, which already now they, they already own about 200 other local newspapers around the country. They can add nine more to their stable. Now, with great power comes great responsibility, and the hedge fund managers will be pouring in funds to support investigative journalism at the local and state level, proving journalism can be both a public service and a good business. They'll be hiring more workers, raising salaries. <laughs> come on, come on. That's totally not going to happen. <laughs> no, no way. way. <laughs> no, of course they won't. No, I, I did say hedge fund after all. Mm -hmm. uh, they'll be firing people left and right, squeezing every penny they can out of the print journalism uh, world before the ink runs dry and basically, you know, it, then selling it for parts. Is this a big deal or a big whoop? <sighs> it's an idiot wind that blows no good. My God, this is just a nightmare. They really were hoping some... You know, we're reduced to hoping a billionaire will buy a newspaper and do it as a hobby. That's really the only way you can survive nowadays. There really should be like there's local public television. There should be local media and local newspapers so that people can have actual, honest, local coverage of their school boards, their police stations, their city hall, make sure things are working right. That's the only way you have, you know, community journalism keeping an eye on things. This is not just, oh, I'm sorry, my friends are out of work, though I am. More than 2,000 newspapers have closed down from 2004 to 2019. So before the pandemic struck, thousands of newspapers closed. Half the jobs in the newspaper business are gone. And this is just going to make it worse. It's very, very sad. Yeah. And by the way, if you want to see what kind of good newspapers can do, see the previous story when Nicholas Kristof of the New York Times did an expose on Pornhub. On Pornhub. Yeah. It, it changed quite a bit very quickly. Exactly. But uh, I want to say that sounds like inside baseball. But sure, it is. Yeah, yeah, I guess it is. Well, inside baseball is our next segment, and it is our segment where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business, and more importantly, how they affect you. I guess, really, this is how this this week's stories will affect you. It's what you'll be watching next fall. Although, really, why do we still have TV seasons? I guess it's just so that they can sell ads. Well, they don't. They don't anymore. A lot of people were saying, well, most people were saying, no, we're on a 52-week schedule now. We're programming shows year-round on the big four networks. We're, we're piloting and greenlighting shows year-round. We're not stuck in that. The one or two are like, no, we like the old hoopla. But no, they tried to make it seem like old times. They had the dog and pony show, that adorable old-fashioned ritual of bringing people all together in a room so they can cough on one another and discuss the fall TV schedule. That is gone. In fact, during the network upfronts, the most common theme was that they barely mentioned the network TV schedule. You know, everything was like on Sunday night, on Monday night. On This was streaming, streaming, streaming. Oh, and we have a primetime schedule. Here it is. Goodbye. I, truly, that is not that is not in an exaggeration. In different ways, everyone emphasized streaming and the range of content available across various outlets like primetime, basic cable, premium cable, and streaming. And streaming, whether it be, you know, you got to pay for the streamer and there's no ads, or it's AVOD, it's advertised video on demand. What they didn't emphasize were the still considerable eyeballs attracted to primetime on the big networks every single night. And there were some fights. What happened with ad rates? Well, they went up, didn't they? 
Well, they want them to go up, but it's the ad rates of streaming versus network that we're talking about. The networks say streaming is all the rage. All the kids are streaming. You want to be where the kids are, right? You want those eyeballs, right? Boy, if you get to advertise on Peacock or HBO Max, which is launching a streaming level, or you know whatever, you know you're going to pay. The ads, they say, should get the same rate as prime time and live sporting events. And the advertisers said, "Not yet, kiddo." You know, yeah, no, we're not paying prime time rates. You know, where we have like eight, ten, fifteen people, million people watching for your streaming rerun of the Golden Girls. That ain't happening, at least not yet. And HBO Max did mention their their new level. They talked about launching a, an ad level, an ad supported level. HBO Max costs fifteen dollars ad free, but if you want to get it for a little bit less money and have just some ads, you can pay it for ten dollars. So they're saying, okay, we want to get more people in here for 10 bucks. You can get HBO Max and watch a few ads. Well, you know, you're talking about how like the the uh, networks are kind of like the the overlooked, the second, you know, the this bastard stepchild in a way, even though. Right. You know, Absolutely. So so here's it. Here's uh, let me tell you this, this, this uh, li- little joke here uh, from Jimmy Kimmel. He said, CBS is once again calling themselves the most watched network. Being the most watched network is like being the best-selling fax machine. Congratulations. <laughs> How is it? He can be relatively funny every year during the upfronts and rarely funny anytime else. It's bizarre. Well, I, I can't, well, every year after this happens, I go, those are kind of funny jokes. I watch his show and I go, still not funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, he also said, uh, now, he was the person who gave the Disney and ABC upfronts, okay? He was the, mm-hmm. the host, so to speak. Right. And it was all virtual this year. Normally, they fly everybody into New York, and they're in Radio City Music Hall. But, uh, you know, COVID, hey, that didn't happen. Uh, but uh, he said, as you know, everyone here at Disney is very excited about Drax, the Disney real-time ad exchange. <laughs> I, I don't have a joke for this. I just want to point out how sad that is. Now... <laughs> I re- the reason I bring that up is because, of course, last week you talked about how CBS was going to do programmatic advertising for some of its shows. Right. Guess what? So is everyone. Uh, right. Literally are, everyone. The technology is now available. And here's the problem. Are they showing them the eyeball numbers? Because they don't want anyone else to know who's watching what when it comes to streaming. They hold that, all that information close to the vest. If they want to charge premium ad rates, they're going to have to at least show the advertisers who's watching it when. Well, and I'm right sure now, they will. Well, right, but then those numbers should be getting out. We have no clue how many people are watching whatever on Netflix. We can guess. We've got an outside Nielsen taking their best educated guess, but we don't really know. I'm watching stuff on Hulu. My mom's watching a, a BritBox, Hulu, Netflix, Peacock, Tubi. But how many people are watching them? How much uh, you know eyeballs they're generating? I have no clue. All I know is I watch the same five ads over and over and over again. It's like, I for can God's tell you sake, this: if I watch ten episodes of Kids Baking Championship in a row, can't you give me a different ad? For the love yeah. of God! <laughs> well, and I can tell you that one thing that uh, is going to be lower is the cost of selling those ads because, of course, if you can log on and say, "Well, I want to buy a little bit of this and a little bit of that," and uh, you, guess what? I'm not talking to a human being, right? Mm-hmm. If I'm an advertiser. So now Disney doesn't have to pay or CBS or whoever it is doesn't have to pay. Well, who said those- that they were going to be doing that by automation? Drax. Oh, Drax is the automated system. Yes. And by oh. the way, the Drax, the D in Drax is in the, the logo for Drax has that like the Disney. script D. Yeah, of course. Of yeah. course it does. He's a lovable friend. Yeah. You know who's also a lovable friend of primetime television? Dick Wolf. 
He is programming three entire nights across two networks. On CBS, they have FBI for an entire evening. On NBC, they have the Chicago shows in an entire evening and Law and & Order and for an entire evening. Nine hours of primetime is programmed by Dick Wolf. They talked about doing a Law & Order cable channel. Like, no joke. Law & Order Chicago, you know, he can do it. He can do it right now. But the thing that really stuck out for me, and, you know, I love primetime schedules. They don't really matter as much anymore, but I'm still geeking out about them. ABC's primetime schedule dominated by reality television. They have 22 primetime hours, basically, during the week. 13 of them are reality and sports. Most of its schedule is reality TV. On Sunday night, the highest rated night of the week, historically, I assume that's still true, they have America's Funniest Home Videos, Celebrity Wheel of Fortune, uh, give me an E, Alex, and then Supermarket Sweep. Supermarket Sweep is in prime time on ABC at 9 o'clock, and then the returning you know, Nathan Fillion drama, The Rookie. Wait, but I like, don't like going grocery shopping on the weekend. <laughs> well, Why would I tune in to good, watch somebody else do it? It's a good low rent thing on basic cable, you know, guys, grocery, con- but but supermarket sweep at, at 9 p.m. on a Sunday night, not even a Saturday night where they don't program anything. I could see that. That sounds like a Saturday night schedule, Celebrity Wheel of Fortune and Supermarket Sweep. I would turn on the lights on Saturday with that. This is their prime night of the week, and that's what they have on television. They don't want to spend the money, <laughs> you know? NBC has no sitcoms in their fall season for the first time in like 50 years or something. Not a single sitcom is airing in prime time on NBC until like the winter. So a lot is changing in television. But will this work? There's a new show on Hulu. I know shows are silly. Anything can work. Tessa Thompson has a show coming to Hulu. Famous celebrities get together. They haven't met each other before. They don't really know each other. Maybe they like their work or something. They put them together in a room and they work on a jigsaw puzzle. And we watch okay. and you get to, and they get to know each other as they work on the jigsaw puzzle. So they talk about their career like, okay, at least it's on Hulu and it's not ABC in prime time. Actually, you God, know what? Ironically, that could work. <laughs> well, sure. Yeah. I, why not? <laughs> and to put us back in time, cord cutting, streaming, we get the newsletter from Programming Insider. You can go to programminginsider.com. Mark Berman, he's been a guest on our show before. He does little history factoids. In 2013, the Lightman Research Group released findings that the 13 biggest U.S. cable, satellite, and telco TV providers lost about 80,000 subscribers for the 12-month time frame of April 2012 through March of 2013. The firm stated that was the first time there had been a net industry-wide loss over a one-year period. That was the beginning of cord cutting, March of 2013. is when we first saw this happening, and it continues to today. I know Bruce Lightman, that, that, that search is, uh, that, that search, that study was done by Bruce Lightman of the Lightman Research Group. I know him. Oh, oh go figure. Very, very cool. You know, I didn't know he was still around. I guess, well, why, why would I expect him to not be, I guess? I don't well, know. you know, not everybody's around. Most likely you go your way and I'll go mine. And Charles Grodin has gone his way. He died at the age of 86. He was the star of the Heartbreak Kid, Midnight Run. And if you're a little kid, Beethoven. He was also in Heaven Can Wait, Rosemary's Baby, Albert Brooks' reality spoof, Real Life. Seems like old times. Ishtar, Ishtar, and Dave. And he won an Emmy for writing that he did on the Paul Simon special, a primetime special with Paul Simon. A grumpy guy. A grumpy guy. 
I watched him and Johnny Carson sparring one time where Charles Grodin was like, you don't care what I think. You don't care about me. I'm just someone to fill the time. And Johnny was like, you're right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, he was kind of known for that deadpan kind of, uh, I remember Dave Letterman asking him, hey, you know, Midnight Run, you know, it's a big hit. You know, you've got this newfound celebrity. I mean, have things changed for you? And as he's asking the question, Charles Grodin has given him the side eye, like, what are you talking about, man? And he's asking, so, you know, you're a big star, celebrity, things change. What's changed? You know, tell me. And Charles Grodin goes, yeah, I have a lot less patience for television talk show hosts. <laughs> I've never seen, I probably saw that at the time because I watched him pretty hardcore, but that's very funny. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, also dying was drummer Roger Hawkins. And if that name sounds familiar, it's because he played with Everett Staples singers, Aretha Franklin, Percy Slat, you name it. He played with them. Paul Simon. He played yeah. with Paul Simon. The second time we mentioned Paul Simon today. Yeah, no, he he kept good time. I'm pledging my time to him. I mean, look at look at the names. In fact, Aretha Franklin's Respect, Think, Chain of Fools, The Staple Singers, I'll Take You There, Bob Seger's Old Time Rock and Roll, and 10,000 other songs. In fact, one of his bands, one of his house bands, was name-checked by Leonard Skinner in the classic Sweet Home Alabama. They didn't play on it, but, you know, he's from Alabama. That's where they recorded most of this stuff, so pretty damn cool and really a titan. The comedian and writer Paul Mooney died at the age of 79. He was a stand-up comic in his own right, uh, but he was also an actor and a writer and forever linked to Richard Pryor. When he met Richard Pryor, Richard Pryor said to Paul Mooney and Paul Mooney's sister, quote, let's get on the bed and have a freak thing. Let's not forget Richard Pryor was bisexual. Paul Mooney said, what? And tossed him out of his house. But they became (laughs) friends anyway. Uh, He had his own career. He was also in Hollywood Shuffle, Spike Lee's Bamboozled. That movie has aged well. Bustin' Loose and the Buddy Holly story. And he was a writer. He wrote for Sanford and Son and Good Times. That's pretty good right there. He was the head writer on the legendary Richard Pryor show, which did not last long, but was hugely influential. And on that show as head writer, he gave big breaks to Robin Williams, Tim Reed, and Sandra Bernhardt, among many others. He also contributed material to some of Richard Pryor's albums, including Live on the Sunset Strip. He helped craft one of the most famous skits in Saturday Night Live history in which Richard Pryor and Chevy Chase did a scene where Richard Pryor was applying for a job and Chevy Chase did a word association with him that became racially charged. Uh, Chase claims he wrote it with Pryor. Paul Moody's like, no, you didn't. <laughs> and by the way, in that skit, <laughs> Chevy Chase uses the N-word. Interesting world that we live wow. in. Wow. He was also head writer on In Living Color in their first season. Wow. And- and contributed to and appeared on Chappelle's show, where he played the recurring character Negro Damas. <laughs> like they say, Negro <laughs> Damas. Why do white people like Wayne Brady so much? Because he makes Brian Gumble look like Malcolm X. <laughs> it's just, there are when you look at the list of all-time comics, Rolling Stone lists like the top ten is like Lenny Bruce, George Carlin, Joan Rivers, Bill Cosby, Dave Chappelle, Mort Saul, Chris Rock, Louis C.K. Number one is Richard Pryor. And Richard Pryor would have been a star anyway, but Paul Mooney was hugely important. I mean, think of it. The Richard Pryor show, In Living Color, and Chappelle show. Major contributor. That's This is a, a titan of the industry. So uh, a sad day with his passing, with his death. Well, well and, and we're titans of the industry too. I mean, oh, the, po- the podcast industry and, and really just titans of, of entertainment news podcasts and really just titans of entertainment news podcasts that, that we do. That's right. You don't need a weatherman to know which way the wind blows, but you do need us to tell you what's happening in the entertainment biz. 
Yes. And uh, you know what? If you want to find out what's happening next week, well, then wait until after next week's show, because that's when all the news will actually happen, apparently. (laughs) But uh, definitely subscribe to us in iTunes, Microsoft Marketplace, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, anywhere they give podcasts away for free, the Google Play Store, whatever they're calling that darn thing. I have to figure out what they're calling that darn thing now. In any case, you can subscribe to us. You can rate and review us in any one of those podcast aggregators. It helps us out when you do. Those links, links to subscribe to us, links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's episode, all of that information can be found on our website, showbizsandbox.com. Our website is also where you'll find those ways to contact us. Dirt at showbizsandbox.com is our email address. That is D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can call us 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're on Twitter at showbizsandbox is our handle. Or Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group MGMT. Our website is showbizsandbox.com. MGMT's website is whoismgmt.com. Michael Gilts has a website, and every week, it's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? This week, it's thevandalstookthehandles.com. Oh, that's got to be a drummer reference. No, that's a Bob Dylan reference from Subterranean oh. Homesick Blues, and it's available for $1 for the first year. I'm, I'm going <laughs> to do my Bob Dylan tribute page right there. Happy birthday, Bob. Happy 80th. Well, if you can't find any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry there, why not head on over to michaelgiltz.com where all of his coverage of the entertainment industry is is aggregated. Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Until next week, play nice. He tells me to call him Bobby, but I just, I just, it feels too familiar. What does Martin Scorsese tell you to call him Marty? He, he does. Well, I do call him Marty. What about Bobby De Niro? I call him Mr. De Niro. Oh, okay. <laughs> I hit on his girlfriend. <laughs>